You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping to social media to sports and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become liturgies of life. In this half of our our conversation, I really want to talk about, for lack of a better word, syncretism or um, people including rituals from various different places into their life, right? And, you know, us as Orthodox like to keep things in-house, so to speak. But to what degree can we participate in rituals that are, quote-unquote, religious that aren't actually part of our tradition? Uh, We're going to go down that road a little bit. I think it's worth still talking a little bit about uh, keeping um, telos on our mind, uh, you know, the purpose of these rituals, I think that, and freedom and all that, that's essential that we talked about last time. And to dive into this conversation, I'm going to put up a question that Cam Hay has just sent in, which is, um, so would you say that there is no neutral ground? Either we are on the road to theosis or the opposite. Um, and, you know, in this conversation of ritual, I guess this, you know, the question could be, are we, uh, are, do all rituals either point us is it one or two, right? Is it kind of binary? You know, you're, you're pointing yourself towards your ultimate purpose of theosis, or is it kind of destroying you? Um, and I'm interested to get your I, take. I mean, that. I think, I think that it's fine to see it that way. If you're careful, like if you're careful to understand that it, it lays itself out in a natural hierarchy. And so, you know, it's like, there are certain, obviously there are certain things that you do that, how can I say this, that are more indirectly leading you towards theosis? Like we use the example of brushing your teeth. Like obviously, you know, you can do that mindfully and you can do it with the right, with the right uh, spirit, but it's not, you know, it's not as big of a deal. So I, I do think that there is no neutral ground in the sense that there, there are no things that we do that are purposeless, but the purposes all kind of build up towards something like theosis, but you're not necessarily immediately apparent when you're sharpening your pencil. Like if you're sharpening your pencil, you know, you're, you're, you are ultimately moving towards theosis, but it's not c- captured, let's say, completely in the uh, in the act of uh, sharpening your pencil. Let's say to me, that's the best way to to understand that. Yeah, it, it's about what I was saying earlier about the, the the way these stories fold into to one another and so forth. So for somebody who is ultimately attending to that biggest story of all, right, and whose purpose in life is theosis, as Cam, you know, has has rightly, you know, said that a lot of the things that we can do can actually be taken and folded into that and and made part of that. So I can then go with Father Yuri to a Hamilton Tiger Cats game and I can enjoy the human celebration and the, the the contest and and the joy and you know even the the drama with all of it the, the U shape of of uh, you know descent and ascent that, that that forms every human story and everything and I can make that part of that you know journey. It's not obviously going to be the main constituent of it, but I can nevertheless, as a Christian, experience that in a way that that is in keeping with and leading you know still pointing in the right direction. 
but someone else may be there the same day experiencing the same reality and and going the other direction, right? Mm. Two of us can go to an art gallery and experience the art in two completely different ways, right? Or watch a film or or cook a meal or, you know, go shopping and, and all of that. I think as Christians, it's not that, you know, we need to then suddenly exclude a whole range of human activity as though that were not saintly or leading towards holiness. What we have to do is actually recapture and renew every aspect of human reality and live it towards, you know, that goal. But if we, you know, limit ourselves to any one of those things, then we wouldn't ultimately be be living that. But so, so I think as Christians, you know, by all means, enjoy literature, enjoy music, enjoy art, enjoy in, enjoy sports, enjoy. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be said, and it's, and even some of these things that you know, we pointed at in in the world today with rituals. Uh, you know, some of them are around fundamental things like nature or food or, you know, human, you know, connection and, and, and so forth. I mean, all of that, ultimately, we need to reclaim and show that the best way of enjoying all of that is to fold it into the, the, the biggest story of them all and to enjoy them in and through and for the pattern of Jesus Christ, you know, in, in humanity as the showing the ultimate purpose, you know, of all things. There's no better way to be a gourmet cook than to be a Christian. Right. There's no better way of being, you know, a fan of the Lord of the Rings than to be a Christian. You know, uh, so and some of these things are easier than others to, to kind of make work. You know, <laughs> Tolkien works yeah. in a way that maybe some other, other authors don't. But almost nothing is off the table in some regards, as long as it's lived, you know, towards um, towards the kingdom. I mean, even something like this big issue in our society today of sex, the best way of enjoying sex is to be a Christian and to, to live that according to what has been given to us in, you know, the, the parameters. It comes back to our question earlier about freedom and, and constraint and so forth. The, the freest way of enjoying sex is to be a committed, married, Orthodox Christian and having a family and, 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 and so forth. So I, in that regard, I would say absolutely that, that there's nothing that is... Um, particular uh in terms of uh, you know, there's no the question about neutral ground right so it's what you what you ultimately will put it into in terms of purpose that that makes sense of, of almost any activity some of course being very trivial but some being rather important indeed mm-hmm. so uh for the purposes of this episode i'm going to play the character who wants to um experience religion and spirituality, but maybe keep the church at an arm's length. Right. And then, and then as we go through the conversation, I'm going to paint new situations and we can kind of talk about it. So, you know, I, I can imagine a person who would say, you know, we did talk about uh, in the, uh, the last episode about um, sports, right. And sports is kind of one way of enacting kind of religious practices, but without that story, right. It's a limited story. So what about somebody who says, okay, well, I don't only participate in the story of sports. I also participate in the story of shopping and the story of CrossFit and the story of Harry Potter and the story of um, Comic-Con. So yeah, I, I don't only have one story. I actually have lots of stories. And those, all those stories together can come and give my life kind of a holistic meaning and purpose. Um, yeah, how would we, I guess, as Orthodox Christians, uh, like uh, start to address that? Maybe layering these stories, like maybe combining all these stories, make a big story or something like that. I don't know. I'll let you. I'll let you take it away from here. Uh, 
Well, the, you can look at the way that the world is, the way the world is happening now is really, there is a sense of hodgepodge and a sense of, of chaos. And so th this is not arbitrary. That is the chaos that we're feeling and the disconnection that we're feeling amongst individuals, communities breaking down, families breaking down, you know, the suburbs as an experience of living somewhere without knowing your neighbors. All of these are in some way a, a um, they're a symptom of, of a general breakdown of, of Christianity or the Christian story, the hold of the Christian story on, on, on our lives. And so, you know, when people try to create these hodgepodge versions and you see it the same in new age and you see the same in, in all kinds of, of, of different aspects of the contemporary world, it's really just, it's increasing the breakdown. It's participating in the breakdown. So, so someone might hate, they hate their, their suburban isolated life, but then they, they want to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and have a bit of this and have a kind of a booyah base of, of a religious practice. But they don't realize that those two are, are symptoms of the same problem. And so what obviously what, what the church offers and what Christianity offers is a way to ground all the other things in something which is a, is a, is a true binding in love. That is reality is bound together into this highest attention that we give towards the source of all reality, you know, and the incarnation as the anchor, which makes it possible for us to be attentive to that. And then everything else kind of lays itself out uh, naturally. But if you remove that, then you end up with Frankenstein stories, like all this chaotic mixing and, and, uh, and, and it does, I think it just ultimately is gonna participate in the breakdown, the continual breakdown. If you're not a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half a podcast. This show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. When you become a patron, you'll get additional episodes, live streams, and our ever-growing backlog of episodes, 66 at the time of this recording. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. Right. Like uh, before I uh, have you jump in, Father Jeffrey, I, I do want to read this quote from Casper Terkyle's book again, um, because I, he writes, you know, my hope is that you'll join me in choosing a text of your own to treat as sacred, something you already love that you already find yourself turning to again and again. We can all benefit from the ancient practices of sacred reading. But he sort of contextualizes that with, well, you you pick a book that works for yeah, you. It's like you can't have you can't have radical individualism and 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 let's say teleological purpose at a larger scale. You just can't have the two at the same time. So if you encourage this kind of weird radical individualism where everybody makes up their own religion and then you 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 at the same time complain that everybody's lonely and no and nobody's able to be in a relationship anymore and and to have uh, families like the, all these things are going together and so it seems like the desire to create idiosyncratic rituals is um, it's just a continuation of the same problem that they're trying to solve by creating these rituals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Father Jeffrey. Yeah, no, all, all all very true, and I think. Our point of engagement with all of that, you know, can be in to ask people what is the purpose, right? Um, and I think often that kind of hodgepodge that we experience um, 
is people's attempt to almost numb themselves against the ultimate question, right? Why would they participate and, and give themselves over to so many disparate, um, chaotic, um, you know, certainly not oriented in the same direction stories. I don't think they're even wanting to pay attention to that fact because they're just trying to numb themselves through all their, their various kinds of activities and, and, and the stories that they participate in from even asking the question, okay, what is, what is this all going towards? Because any one of those stories might have an end, but those ends are limited. They're, they're, they're framed by, you know, the, this, this life and not in any way sort of pointing, you know, beyond that. Or if they do, it's, it's to, to some kind of, you know, highly individualistic, you know, conception, you know, of, of all of that. So there's, I think, a point of, of, of questioning of, you know, genuine curiosity. So tell me, you know, what does that mean about the ultimate purpose of, of your life? You know, what, what are you giving yourself over? What what do you value out of all of that? Um, and and that can start a conversation. Now, the, the the trick here is that as Christians, we need to actually have a good grip on what it is that we have given ourselves over to. Because I say for far too long, it's just been a kind of, okay, I'm Orthodox because, you know, I can pronounce the Nicene Creed or I believe in, you know, the ecumenical councils or, you know, I can, I know where to draw the line between who's Orthodox and who's not Orthodox as though any of that was, you know, ultimately what's at stake here. Well, we need to be able to say why we want to make the pattern of the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, the pattern of our life, why we are baptized into his death and resurrection, why we put on Christ, what that means, you know, for us. And, you know, ultimately what, what that reveals about every human being and the purpose of every human being. And ultimately the story we have is a really compelling story. And if people, you know, if we can engage and, and, and ask people, you know, what it is that they think all of that means about why we're here and where we're going, all these deep questions that people have been asking forever and but people stopped asking because they numb themselves to them. We actually have a, a really interesting, you know, and, and a far more uh, compelling narrative uh, than, than all of these others. I think it's a real opportunity today, you know, this kind of breakdown, right, into, you know, I, I see it the way, you know, T.S. Eliot wrote about in The Wasteland, right? I mean, there's just kind of uh, fragments <laughs> of all of these things that are broken down that we're surrounded with. But as he points out in the very end of The Wasteland, I mean, there's underneath, you know, the, 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 the kind of desolation there are these deep rivers that are running and everything. And we need to kind of tap into the, those with wells and be the, the kind of source for renewal here and for, for kind of, you know, talking about, you know, all these things. So it's, it, yeah, absolutely. The people are doing the right thing if they're thinking about this, but we need to push them to think further, deeper, and more fundamentally about this and realize that, you know, the imminent frame ain't so interesting, you know, after all, if, if that's, you know, all, although, you know, people have, kind of satisfied themselves to some extent, right? It's another Charles Taylor insight in terms of, of where we're at today. People have, to some extent, answered some of those questions by just thinking in, in terms of, of this life. Um, and so, you know, it's not that people are going around with that Jesus-shaped hole in their hearts that evangelicals used to talk about, right? We just need to plug in um, the, the right thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, we actually need to have a deeper conversation and, and to, to get people to, to kind of ask what it is that all this is about and 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 to be ready with the answer that uh, we're, you know we should be prepared to to give about our, the confession of our faith which i think too few orthodox christians are are actually prepared to do to speak to that story to to that purpose 
All right. So you've convinced this fictional person that, you know, they need to be connected with, let's say, the Orthodox Church, right? But, you know, could they possibly still, I don't know, maybe during the week, one of their practices of of spirituality might still be to do, let's say, the Sam Harris meditation app, right? Where it's like you're you're participating in practices of meditation, but you know you go to church. Why does on this Sundays. keep coming back at me? This Sam Harris thing, like I keep hearing everybody talking to me about this Sam Harris meditation app. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just tried to pick the most atheist. No, it's one. a good, it's a good pick. It it just happens to be that I, even if I wasn't a Christian, I couldn't imagine meditating with his voice in my ears. It would just be crazy to do that. Right. You know, it could be that one. It could be headspace it could be whatever whatever but like the point being um to what degree can you can you bring in practices of other religions in your participation in the orthodox life and and i guess the example i'm bringing up particularly is meditation which perhaps i think people see it as kind of more neutral or baseline or you know even atheistic so you can put your own meaning on top of it perhaps um though i don't necessarily subscribe to that way of looking at it but yeah i'll just get your take on 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 this this fictional person's journey into the yeah. church. Well, I I think that I think that for example, I understand people's desire to meditate. Once in a while, if I'm talking to non-Christians, I'll tell them like it's better to do that than to do nothing. Like it's definitely something because we have a tradition in the church of of attention. We have a tradition of of silence and attention. You know, we have a tradition of of repetitive, uh, repetitive prayer and watchfulness, you know, of the heart. And so that's not meditation, but meditation has, how can I say this? It's like meditation that is a little bit of what we're trying to attain. And so I feel like for some people it can be helpful, but it's like, if you're Orthodox Christian and you have the Jesus prayer, why would you meditate? I don't understand why you would even do that. It's a, you have something far superior and something that is also integrated into completely integrated into your tradition into your belief about christ about scripture about all these things and so i don't it's like i don't see why you would want even want to do something else it seems like the fact that you would want to do these other type of meditation exercises is a sign that you don't understand with the richness of what you of what you have um and so i think and i it's like i can get it i get it for people that are in a kind of, like I said, like non-denominational type Christianity where they it's they don't, they didn't even have an idea of like attention and capturing the heart and capturing thoughts. Um, and so they're like, oh, well, this yoga stuff's really interesting or this meditation is really interesting because it helps me. But for the Orthodox Christian, we have it all there. It's all, we have everything. I think all the mystical practices that are necessary for a human being are part of our tradition. So I don't see why you would need something else. We just don't have the app. <laughs> we don't have the oh, I have an app. Like, I, I have an app for like the daily readings and stuff and the daily, the daily celebrations that I use, you know? Father Jeffrey, did you just say having Sam Harris read the Jesus prayer? Well, I mean, is that what you have in mind? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, what would his yeah, fee be? What a yeah. nightmare. <laughs> no, it, it, that's precisely right. I mean, there, there are counterfeits to everything, you know, that, that's good. And, and, if you're coming in one direction, they can be the signs, the the kind of the the shadows that kind of lead you in an ascent towards you know what's what's good. But once you have the fullness, you're you're hardly going to you know swap out you know that for something 
something else. Although from time to time, because people don't apprehend and comprehend our tradition especially well at times, it's sometimes those counterfeits that can can be the thing that that point us back towards the reality of, of, of what we're uh, supposed to be attending to. So for example, we talked about this in the wider sense of ritual, right? So I mean, we have within the Orthodox liturgy and, and festal services and cycle of service and everything, everything you need to ritualize the proper way of being a human being. But it's taken people like Casper Turkile to remind us of the, the kind of purpose and fundamental reality of this and the kind of theological anthropology at stake here, uh, but not because we're now going to follow Casper Turkile into doing the things he suggests, but so that we can return and understand in a more proper way what it is we're actually already supposed to be doing. I had an example of this recently with one of my parishioners who who had, I guess, flirted with Buddhism at some point before he'd returned, you know, to the church. But he said to me one day, you know, Father, I really find the, the Buddhist understanding of sin much more helpful for me. And I said, well, okay, tell me a little bit more about this. Um, and he said, you know what, you know how Christians think of, of sin as just kind of a list of things that, that are wrong, that God wants to be angry and punish you for. But in Buddhism, it's more like a, a kind of aspect of, of, of a non-functioning human being. It's kind of unhealthy rather than you know, I sort of said, okay, well, let's talk about that. Because actually what you found in Buddhism, you know, and I'm not saying to go and find it there to anybody, but what he found in that was actually a, a lens to actually, to recover what actually Eastern Christianity says about that. So we looked at church fathers and, you know, we, 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 we recovered the right thing because we found that the counterfeit aspect of it was pointing us back to the right thing because he'd misunderstood, you know, something in his formation, something, you know, in his background had made him understand sin in, in this kind of very legalistic, you know, framework, which is all too common, right? So, so in that regards, the, the counterfeit is a useful you know, sign or, or prophetic, you know, pointing back into something, but not because it wasn't there in the first place. It's just because we no, ceased to see it in the right ways. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. I think you you do have a point because you know you can see if you if you read the early modern uh, some of the early modern Orthodox writers right they're extremely hostile to hesychasm for example right and they talk about these breathings this breathing stuff it's horrible like why are you doing these breathing things and it's pagan and it's all these things and it's and it and they didn't and and it, like almost like it's superstitious to do this you know and so it's like okay and, and it's interesting now that we reach this point today where all these cognitive scientists are talking about breathing and all these cognitive science are talking about attention. And, and so it can help maybe some of the Orthodox to, to have a few tools yeah. to say, Hey, look, we, we had this and we, we tried to kind of to push it away from, from our tradition, but this is real. Like this is a real thing that we had. And now maybe we have some tools to help us understand why these monks were doing that and how it's important. And maybe we can recover some of the lost aspects of these traditions that, that, that were kind of tossed to the side a little bit. Yeah. All right. So you've convinced this fictional, you know, this fictional character. <laughs> Pretty easy to convince your fictional yeah. character. Yeah. Not yeah. to use the Sam Harris app, right? Yeah. <laughs> not to, so. She or he will not use the Sam Harris app yeah, and, sure. and has decided, okay, you know what? I, I really do need to focus all of my ritual action within kind of the story of Christianity and, um, and those practices. But, 
you know what, you know, my friends go to this big evangelical laser light show, smoke machine, Hillsong service Wednesday nights. So, you know, I'm as part of my Christian, as part of my Orthodox life on Wednesday nights, I'm going to go and experience, you know, I'm going to go worship in that context. And then Sunday mornings, I'm going to come and, you know, receive the Eucharist and be part of the Christian community. Uh, thoughts oh my goodness this is like a really pastoral question father jeffrey you have to start with this one <laughs> i mean i think a lot of orthodox would hide behind canons or something like this right and say you know that this just shouldn't happen but i, I think it's more important to kind of ask why would canons advise against you know this kind of uh, flirting with things. Even if the you know that group on a Wednesday night weren't out and out heretics, as it were. You know, so the idea of praying with heretics, you know, is obviously canonically verboten. Um, but I think again, I would want to have a conversation with that person and just sort of find okay, what is it that that you're finding there? Is it companionship and then the kind of relationship with with your friends? Maybe that person's come out of that community's decided to become an Orthodox Christian has joined themselves to that, but it still has friendships. I mean, that's one, you know, possibility. The other, you know, no, there's something I'm missing on Sunday morning and I'm, I'm finding it there. Well, that would be a whole other, you know, kind of conversation that would be, you know, worth pursuing. I mean, to the first one, I would say far too often people become Orthodox and just kind of cut off all relationships. And it's very sad actually, because, you know, the, the opportunity to kind of um, continue to, to, to influence and, and to be part of, you know, people's life and, and so forth to share with them the richness of what you found um, in the apostolic tradition of the Orthodox Church is is lost because you've you know kind of cut off all things, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you participate fully and everywhere in everything you know that they're doing. And so I think that's where the conversation would would need to be had there. But but I would be you know disappointed indeed if somebody felt that the divine liturgy wasn't the fullness you know of of, of worship and of uh, indeed of, of human personhood in that regard i mean in the we are created to worship god and so what are we doing in the divine liturgy but but perfecting that aspect you know, not aspect but that that fullness of what it is to be a human being to be priests of creation that self-reflective part of of the created world offering back to god you know everything you know that that he has shared you know with us so there can't be anything you know more than that and if it's just well i like the beat i like the the kind of lights and the and the the, the show and everything well you know possibly that's just enjoyable on the the level that we enjoy you know music or or whatever else as we were saying earlier you can participate in a variety of things and and redirect them you know towards the right ends but if the wednesday night thing was becoming the the worship you know, counterfeit, then that's a problematic thing. And I think that's where the canons, you know, are wanting to to kind of steer us away from is having kind of concourse with things that are not ultimately the the fullness, right? I mean, if sin is anything that falls short of the mark, it is sinful to do and settle for things that are not the fullness, right? And yeah. so it's that's where I think the, the, the pastoral kind of question would lie. And I, I think it, it has to do with this hierarchy of goods or this hierarchy, normal hierarchy of things that, you know, you could say that ultimately what you should be doing and not should, but like ultimately the ideal would be to, to do all the hours and the matins, you know, and the, and your morning prayers and the vespers and, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, you know, to do. And so it's like, that's the ideal. And that's what let's like, that's like the, but most of us are not there and most of us fall short of that. And so, 
that's that's also part of of reality. Um, and so I would like that person that say I would if if someone would object to someone going on the Wednesday night to go see like a Christian concert with whatever, but then will accept to go see some secular rock band at a club. I'd be like, well, and they'll say, well, I'm Orthodox. I don't pray with heretics, but then I'll go to a concert here. It's like, okay, dude, there's something about the way you're organizing your hierarchy, which is a little difficult to say. So I would rather someone go and go to a Christian concert than, you know, go see some death metal band uh, at a club. Let's say it that right. way. Yeah. I remember listening. I was a teenager and I was in the car and I was driving and my dad was next to me. You know, my dad's a, a Ukrainian Orthodox priest. And I had on, because I picked up my dad from somewhere, I had on some kind of Christian like metal. <laughs> right. And he was like, what's, what are you, what are you listening to? Like, what, what is this? So, well, it's better than normal metal. It's Christian metal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was better or not, but that's just what I said. And yeah, he, sadly, it's often not musically better. Is that right. the problem <laughs> yeah. with a lot of these things? No, <laughs> very rarely, very rarely. Yeah. Um, well, you've convinced this person. They they are now fully, you know, orthodox, doing the orthodox rituals and all that kind of stuff. But we had a con- Father Jeffrey and I had a conversation. I don't remember when we had this conversation. Ah, we talk all the time, but um, we had an episode called "Orthodoxy as Idolatry." Right. And it was, you know, the the misuse of orthodox rituals Hmm. and things like that. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe this person has now fully committed themselves to being orthodox, but they are now um, perhaps, you know, um, I don't know, like struggling to figure out how to use these rituals properly and, and perhaps going down that road of maybe even beginning to abuse some of these, maybe unknowingly. What are I guess? what are some guardrails that we can use in terms of the rituals that we do to know, you know, may, maybe um, what can we do to make sure we're on that straight and narrow path in terms of using these rituals and participating in these rituals responsibly and properly? I mean, I would say you, you definitely have to stay in relationship to your hierarchy and to your spiritual father, because the, the, often people who become, become too go too much on that side, it all, it also tends to be idiosyncratic. It's like, I'm going to do all these spiritual practices. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do all that. But they don't, they're not part of it. They're not in, they're not doing it in communion with their confessor. They're not doing it in communion with their spiritual father. I think that that would actually probably be the best guardrail against that kind of abuse would be uh, to obey your, your, your confessor, obey your spiritual father. And usually I think most, not always, you'll have exceptions, but most will tend to temper, especially a, a new convert or someone who's always suddenly super zealous and and is going overboard on the other side i think that 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 tempering will will tend to happen at that level enacting the kingdom only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on patreon esther writes it all started when a very talented and active member of our parish sent out a link for the episode concerning fasting featuring the bright and pious authority rita madden I had witnessed her wisdom before, so I tuned in, found the format of enacting the kingdom very appealing, and immediately became a patron. I have found all of the additional podcasts extremely beneficial and have since evangelized a prominent member of our Orthodox community to do the same. Keep up the good work. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. I think the confusion 
comes in when when means are taken for ends, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's exactly what Jonathan just said. You know, we need to be in that community in the right place under, you know, uh, spiritual discipline and so forth. And and hopefully that is what will pro- provide the right balance in terms of, you know, why do we do these things, you know, prayer and fasting and, 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 uh, you know, the Jesus prayer and, and the simple life and, and all that, they, these can become obsessions on their own and become the very purpose, uh, which is to miss the point, right? The only reason we do Christian discipleship, you know, isn't to necessarily think or even to be seen to be doing the right things, but to become and to take on the, the person of Jesus Christ, right? To be formed into a certain kind of human being, exhibiting the fruit of the spirit, loving God and loving neighbor, uh, doing the mission of God, you know, in the world. And that's, if we orient ourselves to that and do these things, then it, it was, it, it's not that we'll never go wrong. It's that we will know when we've gone wrong and we will know to recorrect, right? And that, and that, and then we're in the pattern of what we find in the, in the fathers of, yeah, we fall down, we get back up, but we know to get back up because we know we've fallen down in the first place. So often if we are focused on the wrong things, then we don't, we're not even aware of where we've, we've kind of fallen short. And in so many ways, the last couple of years of, you know, what we've seen in our society has been a kind of apocalyptic, you know, moment. It's, it's, it's lifted the veil on an awful lot of what Orthodox have been doing and practicing and focusing on. And it hasn't always been <laughs> the right things, right? So we haven't always and everywhere been doing what we've been doing and guarding and, and safely passing down generation to generation all these practices but have we been obsessed with them for their own sake or for you know, cultural reasons or for whatever else? Or have we been doing that because we're, we're image bearers and kingdom bearers in the world and, and trying to, to fulfill you know, the, the, the fullness of what we're called to be? And I think it's that question that, that we need to kind of get right. And, and I say that's the diagnostic tool for when we get it wrong, which will be always and everywhere anyway, but we'll at least know to co- correct our courses and to get back up and, and, and the ongoing life of repentance becomes one oriented towards our ultimate purpose. Right. And so I think that that, that helps us from making uh, these things idols, which they, they oughtn't to be. I mean, anything good, anything we replace God with is an idol. Right. So it's uh, so even all the aspects of our tradition, including our worship and, and rituals and spiritual disciplines can be idolatrous if they're taken as ends in themselves. I mean, that's what St. Augustine talks about, right? In terms of, um, you know, everything can be, you know, a thing in and of itself, or it can be a sign. It can be that thing that, that, that symbol that, that points us towards God. And even all the beautiful things that we have in our worship and, and Christian and, and, and church life are meant to lead us to God and not to be the things that we worship ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have a question that's come in from one of our patrons, Esther. Uh, uh, please comment on the Orthodox tradition legacy versus the Lone Ranger pastor who is obligated to invent services and electionary. This is stressful, but could also easily feed into one's own agenda. Um, yeah, yeah go ahead, and definitely. This is the problem with idiosyncratic spiritual practice is that you don't have anything to check you. You know, it's like, so for example, I mean, in the Orthodox, one of the things that tradition does in the Orthodox church is that, you know, you can have a priest up there who says something that is completely horrendous in the homily and everybody has had that experience. But then when he goes back to the prayers that he's going to say, then it corrects him. 
like almost naturally by the fact that it's kind of contained in this tradition. So I think that that's one of the important things, even in our own spiritual life. That's one of the reasons why the idea of the hodgepodge spirituality that doesn't work is because we end up making our spiritual life in our, in our own image. And if we do that, then we're, we're not getting better. We're not moving towards an ideal. We're just turning, going around in a circle. And that's one of the problems with kind of auto declared pastors or these kind of self declared spiritual authorities is that they have nothing to check them. They have nothing, even for their own spiritual sake, they have nothing to kind of, to check their, their, uh, their, their behavior and their rituals and their prayers and everything. And if I hear what you're saying correctly, you know, th there is that aspect that if, if you just invent it for yourself, you're going to create it in your own image. It, it, the, the metaphor you could use is like, well, you get a new job and it's a technical job where you have to learn how to use a tool. And when you start first doing it, you're not, you don't really know what you're doing. You actually need somebody there who can be like, actually, this is how you do it. And you need to practice it so that you can actually advance and then use the tool properly. Uh, but on the other hand, I think, you know, we are supposed to contextualize our faith in our own lived context. And I guess one of the guardrails there that you mentioned would be something like our relationship with our spiritual father or father confessor um, and with our, our participation in the community. So I guess I'm thinking out loud here, but I'll let both of you react to it. But it's sort of like you can't there's no such thing as like a Lone Ranger Orthodox Christian. Right. Like you on the Internet, there is, but not yeah. in reality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Go I mean, there for you, let you. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the complexity, I think, from the Orthodox, which I mean, I, I completely agree with everything Jonathan said. I've even been in that situation of, of preaching and, and where um, I, I I'm I'm held by the liturgy itself, right? And I mean, it's not that I wanted to say something that was outside of that, but I'm just very conscious in preaching that, you know, I'm actually in some ways just taking and paraphrasing the words of the liturgy itself. And that just comes so naturally because we prayed it so many times and, and that's a good thing. And the liturgy itself is just rearranged scripture in the first place, right? So all of that is just this beautiful textual tradition that I'm never going to run out of things to say because I'm just held lovingly, you know, by, by, by this kind of reality, but I can't imagine how stressful it would be to, to kind of have to invent ideas and, and so forth on, on one's own. But I was going to say about, you know, the complexity of, of being Orthodox is that we do have, you know, a deep tradition and a very wide tradition, and it's a, a very Catholic tradition. And so there, there can be a sense in which, you know, you can almost, become a lone ranger within that somehow. And I think we have to be on the watch out for that. And that's where, to some extent, we're seeing that because of this internet and social media phenomenon and, and so forth, that people can, can almost select, you know, within that and, and, and uh, put too much of a focus on one part and, and then therefore ignore the rest. I think one of the most helpful things to do for any Orthodox Christian is to visit widely, you know, go to, traditional Orthodox countries, go to monasteries, go to different parishes, experience Orthodox widely, to absolutize one instance, one kind of instantiation of Orthodoxy, maybe one pastor or one homilist or, or one author or one church father or whatever, is to, is to miss that breadth that is itself a kind of counterbalance. The same way we're talking about the liturgy as a counterbalance to the, the person trying to speak within it, but that 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 breadth of tradition, right? Um, you know, that beautiful example about hesychasm, you know, it, where, you know, for a time, the church was quite resistant to 
Palamite theology. You wouldn't believe that today, right? Based on a kind of revival of, of uh, patristic tradition and hesychasm in, in the 20th century. But for, for centuries, in fact, hesychasm was, was looked quite down upon. Well, that was the kind of example of a, of a deviation that was not yet counterbalanced by that breadth of tradition. And I think that's something that we really need to lean into a little bit more. The internet does not help, right? Because it, it is all about niche. You know, if I only am interested in golf, then I can watch golf on TV or on the internet all day long, right? And I'm not even aware of the greater reality of athletic competition and sports and so forth. So, so too in orthodoxy, you can be like this very narrow version of it, which is not ultimately, you know, the Catholic church that, that we belong to. And so I think that that's a, a thing that needs to be watched out for. It's not just outside the church that we find these lone rangers, we find them within as well. So should we tell people, you know, don't only listen to us. You got to go listen to a whole lot of absolutely other not just one podcast, many podcasts for you. <laughs> well, I, I think that especially symbolic world. There exactly. you go. Exactly. <laughs> this it works perfectly to transition into uh, giving you an opportunity, Jonathan, to just give a little bit about uh, your YouTube channel and uh, the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, maybe about four or five years ago now, I found myself in a strange place that Father Jeffrey participated in uh, putting me in, by the way, you know, because I, uh, the, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's great. I'm, it's really wonderful. Like, I'm happy. I'm really grateful uh, all the time. I have ended up in a space where I'm talking to a lot of post-secular people, we would call them, or, you know, people coming out of atheism or people who are grew up Christian, moved away from Christianity, and now are reconsidering uh, Christianity. And so, so I, I've kind of found a way to talk to those people and it seems to have some effect people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people kind of reconverting and a lot of people actually going to the Orthodox church. I'm hearing that from, especially in the United States, you know, a lot of people are saying there's like this wave of catechumen. Obviously it's not just me, but it's like, I think I'm part of a movement or something that's happening where all of a sudden, all of a sudden people are becoming aware of the power of mystical Christianity and the power of what the tradition offers. Um, and so it's been great. I'm really enjoying it. And people, yeah, people are interested. I talk about all kinds of things from the scripture to the church fathers, to commentaries on movies, commentaries on, on, on social commentaries on what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. I've had three inquirers email me this week and in talking with them, all three, three of uh, the uh, inquirers said, uh, name dropped you as a reason. They Part were. of, let's say, one of the reasons. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's. I mean, glory to God is all I can say to that because, you know, we. It's it's nothing that I planned. Like I didn't plan to find myself in this situation, and uh, and uh, hopefully that it's always it'll continue to be for the best. Let's say. Yeah. So thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to the uh, patrons who were able to watch this live. That's about it. Uh, we'll see you next time and. Um, Jonathan, we'll have to have you on sometime in the future. I know that uh, Cam sent in a request for topics here, but it just didn't quite fit. He wants uh, He's looking into the topics of the relationship between beauty, freedom, and ethics. So maybe we'll have to have you on sometime. Yeah, read, read uh, The Ethics of Beauty if you're interested in that question. It's a wonderful book. Right? Yeah, it's a very wonderful book. Well, thank you very much, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. 
Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.